Hey there, do you believe in sharing your knowledge and insights with people, even if they're competitors? Of course you do, because people like us do things like this. Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of the People Like Us Do Things Like This podcast, a weekly exploration of things that people like us might be into doing, being, hearing, or knowing. I'm your host, Neil Humphrey, and today, let's talk about knowledge sharing. Well, that was a, an unnecessary dramatic introduction or oh. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be using that one again so hey um, thanks for joining me today um, this is the second episode of the podcast um, if you've if you've listened to the first one already and you're a subscriber thank you so much um, really appreciate it it was something that I kind of stumbled on by accident I guess uh, I've always uh, had a desire to get another podcast going and I picked up this tool and it seems to be working and it's allowed me to get a podcast out there again and it's still I think if, if you haven't seen it let me just explain or haven't listened to the previous episode um, let me explain a little bit about the contest or the context I should say that I just wanted to find a place where I could you know share my share my way of thinking uh, share some ideas and things that maybe would find a way of resonating and connecting with people that might like the same sort of things because that's the whole idea behind people like us do things like this it's there is there are ways of joining with people either through an ideology be it political or religious um, either through as like a shared mindset on the way in which you do things or you just want to hang around with people that make you feel good let's be honest we all need to hang around with people that make us feel good because otherwise you know <laughs> on our own company can get a little bit boring after a little while. So what what am I talking about in terms of knowledge sharing? Well let me just give you a little bit of a story if I may. It's it's quite raw and quite fresh but um, I've had enough time to kind of process it and get over it so I feel kind of comfortable sharing with you now because um, what happened was I um, met up with an associate um, a couple of weeks ago and and he told me about a conference that he was going to um, and asked if I'd be interested in coming along. I said it sounded really interesting and um, made a note of the, the name of it and to, to go and look it up online when I got back into the office. And as I was scrolling through my LinkedIn timeline, another associate and friend said, yeah, I'm going to be speaking at this event. Um, because it's a chance for you to check out my, my keynote that I gave at a, a conference over in Europe. I thought that'd be a great thing, great thing, because obviously I like to support people whose insight I really uh, admire and, and are interested to hear what they are saying. So I found the registration page, got myself booked in. It's a free event, an all-day conference. Sounded great. Lots of kind of high-profile thought leaders on the bill. And, oh yeah, did I mention it was free? Sounded like a good deal. Anyway, a few weeks passed and the event is coming up very soon. Anyway, this morning I got an email saying, hey, thanks for registering, um, but actually, you know, uh, you can't come. Um, <laughs> oh, I see. That's the first time in my 
20 plus year career that I've actually been uninvited to anything. Um, made me feel a little bit odd, if I'm honest. And once the initial kind of, kind of impotent rage um, had subsided, like, how dare they uninvite me? Um, I kind of I sort of read a little bit between the lines of, of what was being said here. Um, and I think the thing is, at the end of the day, uh, you know, alarm bells should have been ringing when it's like a free event, you know, because anyone who works in the field of marketing um, or any kind of business development work <laughs> will obviously know that people put on events not to say how nice they are or, you know, <laughs> on the face of it, it was like, oh, let's all get along. You think, no, no, they didn't put on events like this because they want to attract clients and prospects. That's it. Now, once I viewed it in that point of view, I thought, yeah, makes sense. You're putting on a free client attraction event whereby you will put on um, a display of insight and knowledge that positions you as the person to go to for that knowledge. And you will want to get there, get along people who will become potential customers of yours. And the thing that you don't want is to have your competitors there because they might steal your clients, steal your prospects away from under your nose, or even worse, pass off your knowledge as theirs. So after I kind of thought about it kind of objectively, I thought to myself, Neil, don't waste any more stress. Don't lose any more sleep about it. Leave them to it and move on. So I had a conversation with um, the rather delightful Mark Masters, he of the You Are The Media conference and movement, dare I say it. And he said, yes, I know exactly what you mean. It makes me feel a little bit, uh, a little bit uncomfortable when events have this kind of sign outside. And they basically said, you, this is an event, I'm gonna share all this great stuff, but if you're one of these kind of people, it's not for you. And, and that made me sad, and it makes me sad too, because I do believe, although I, you know, I am ostensibly a, a branding consultant, um, my work involves helping companies to kind of reshape their visual branding, my background in the marketing and in design. I think I've come to realize that at the heart of it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, really. I love sharing ideas, sharing things that I've learned, um, synthesizing ideas and pulling things together and, and looking at ways of thinking in different areas and seeing connections and looking for patterns. And I really enjoy helping other people to discover things as well. And so it seems entirely against everything that, that I believe and that I stand for that I should somehow exclude people. And so there's an interesting kind of, dare I say it, kind of a cultural parallel. Um, we're seeing at the moment in the news, the situation that's happening in the States with, with Donald Trump's kind of zero tolerance policy of on immigration. And it is basically, and, I, and I've talked about this in, in other conversations, um, we're, we're in a situation where kind of globally and to an extent sort of on, on a national level, we've got some nations are divided. It's a very much them and us mentality. And 
what we have is a situation where by by excluding others we have a situation where this them and us concept is is become it becomes engendered it becomes part of the culture but surely surely it's better if you share your knowledge and bring everyone along for the ride so let's just kind of take that thought a little bit further i have discovered that as time goes on the more that i learn the less i know that's a bit of a kind of transliteration of i think it's an einstein quote um and the more i more i discover and the more i find out about things the the bigger the the kind of the, the bigger the universe if you like of stuff that i know that i don't know gets now it's it seems a little bit counterintuitive but let me kind of unpick that for you a little bit when you start reading into things you understand the extensive knowledge that needs to be in place for someone else to have an expertise in that field okay so we know that um when you're younger you go to school and you learn stuff and i've got i've got teenage children at the moment and it's going to be like you know <laughs> school's boring um and it's like this is boring maths is boring and he goes yes you know there is there is a truth when i was younger i did struggle with maths but there was a teacher who um who i had um who you know they oh, people are all like inspiring teachers um i feel really bad because i can only remember him as his his nickname which for some reason was cabbage i don't know um anyway <laughs> if you went to school with me and you remember what my um my my kind of o level maths teacher's real name was please do uh, drop me a line and share that fact with me but regardless of what his name was i remember him as a person and he helped me to understand maths enough so that i could pass my maths o level now the thing is that yes fair enough that was his job um and now i still don't really have a great deal of interest in maths and numbers i I'm a bit of a creative thinker numbers are my blind spot but <laughs> this might seem a little bit of a kind of a, a circuitous path but the thing is that when i see people talking about scientific ideas um and and sort of like science and research i am kind of in awe of the amount of knowledge that they would have to accumulate in order to start thinking about these kind of things so it's not like all of a sudden because i'm watching a because i'm watching a documentary about science that all of a sudden i'm going to just jump up and start and pass myself off as a scientist so it stands to reason that there are a lot of people out there who will just not do anything with the knowledge that you're putting out there but there might be something that they say that will implant a seed or encourage them to find out more about something and so let's bring it back to this this idea about sharing your ideas and sharing your insight and your knowledge because there's the two kind of the, the two kind of ways of of viewing it and this is something that that Mark shared in a in a blog post that he posted just recently about upskilling the competition which is on one hand the traditional thinking of keeping your knowledge to yourself in order to 
attract customers in order to have them come to you as the source of that knowledge. Okay, versus the other way of thinking, which is share your knowledge, share your insight, encourage others to find out more, encourage others to challenge your insight. Don't just kind of repeat stuff by rote and just wheel out buzzwords and little kind of pithy axiom, uh, pithy bon mots and whatever the word is I'm <laughs> trying to think of. Um, oh goodness, there's always the way, there's a, there's a word, it's just on the tip of my tongue and I completely forget what it is. Um, uh, anyway, just like a little buzzwords, that's what I'm trying to, to say. What about looking at it from the point of view that if everybody learns together that the service that we can all give to our clients and to our prospects and to the wider world can only be a better thing. Because if your existence is based on just being able to reel off kind of received wisdom, then you're not really any kind of an expert, are you? And you will be found out as, as kind of like a, as a two-dimensional, just a, a spouter of stuff that you've heard somewhere. However, the flip side of it is that you could be in a situation where somebody will cite you as the source of the information that they have gone on to explore further and then come up with their own ideas and their own take on it. Much like today, I am citing Mark Marthers as the person from whom I picked up this particular take on this idea of sharing knowledge. So I think it comes from a place of perhaps fear or that scarcity mentality that people think about IP and intellectual property as something, nothing that it belongs to you. It's been hard earned either in terms of time spent, finding out, learning, um, but also in terms of cost, in terms of money spent, either purchasing information or purchasing access to this this learning, this knowledge that you've accumulated. And actually, the, the thing that's really quite, you know, it's quite, um, quite challenging to, to think about it this way, but there is a lot of information out there. There's a lot of knowledge out there that if you have a the time and the inclination and be the money to do it, you can find this stuff out. But we we always kind of instinctively as as human beings we want to shortcut that. And I think there's this kind of in in this kind of culture of kind of on demand and where knowledge has become the commodity there is this desire to get to the good stuff quickest and people who have learnt stuff who know about stuff have created this situation a bit like i'm, I'm going to quote this um this this passage i don't know whether it's from from the last temptation of christ I did a quick google search earlier on but it's this this quote that i remember being in some rave anthem um, from off of the 90s. I hold the key, I open the door, and I decide who goes in and who doesn't. This is an idea that you put yourself in a position where you say, I'm the gatekeeper to this knowledge. You pay me 
with your attention, you pay me with your money, and then I will impart this wisdom that I have so hard earned. I will impart it on you. I will transfer. It's a bit, it becomes a transactional thing. It's like, you pay me and I'll share my knowledge in, in a sort of a bite-sized way. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a value to the stuff that you know, stuff that you have learned. Um, and I think that's a really kind of difficult kind of situation. It's the way that we, we are in a knowledge economy. But also the fact is that there is so much knowledge out there. There is so much stuff that we can know. And, and if you look at the stats on kind of how much data is uploaded to the interwebs, how many um, uh, journals and mm, articles are written every five minutes, it's, it's staggering. And so the way we think about things has to change. And so the way I look at it is in a lot of situations, I'm quite happy to be proven wrong. I don't stand up at the front of a room when I'm running seminars, when I'm running workshops. I don't say that I know everything. And in fact, as I said in the, in the other half, in the early half, it's like the more that I find out, the more that I realize, that, or the less I realize I really know. And perhaps this kind of polarizing and dividing of I know this and you don't, I'm right, you're wrong. It's becoming more becoming more apparent, but I'm more of the kind of in the middle where it's like, this is what I know, this is what I believe. Uh, I'm ha quite happy to be proven wrong, but shouting me down and telling me that I'm idiot just because I believe something, that's not gonna work for me. So how can we view it from the point of view of actually kind of knowledge sharing is a good thing? Because you see, the thing is that there are stuff that is common knowledge, the stuff that is out there, high profile information. Then there's interpretation. It's an interpretation is kind of seeing the meaning in facts. So a great, a great example that I've used in the, one of my first books was the, the situation, if you've, if you've ever watched Star Wars, um, you'll remember there's, the, there's a fight between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. And, and I remember this, this great thing is like, oh, this culmination, this showdown, lightsabers out, and uh, anyway, Obi-Wan Kenobi disappears. And on the face of it, you know, it's a bit of a shadow, but because you actually understood and followed the whole narrative of that, you, you saw the significance of this event. And as time goes on, and then the subsequent sequels, and the more you read about it, you see it's part of a bigger story. So unless you know the meaning and you can make an interpretation of what it means, it's just fact. So that's one thing about one thing about knowledge. And the other is about curation of knowledge. You see, because we are constantly um, bombarded with new information, we have to process so much new information. And, and yes, we do miss stuff. In fact, we are, <laughs> our brains are hardwired to ignore stuff that isn't relevant. But uh, there's a, there's a double-sided coin here because, or um, it's kind of like a, a double-sided sword, double-edged sword at the moment, because on one hand, we don't want to bother with stuff that isn't relevant. And as a result, for example, in our social media feeds, we end up in an echo chamber where they want us to stay in these social environments, such as LinkedIn or in Facebook, and they keep showing us stuff that they know that we will like. So we'll stay in there. And 
we don't get challenged by contrasting viewpoints. And, and every now and again, when you follow the comment section, which is a bit like going down a, a slippery black hole, so don't, <laughs> I don't advise you do that. But if you look at some of the comments on these very polarizing news reports, you will see that there are actually people who believe one thing and people who believe another. But if you're in this echo chamber, you, you only listen to what confirms your belief. It's, it's this uh, one of the human biases, which is confirmation bias. So if you're going to stand up in the middle of an audience and say that I've gathered together information from, for example, specific trade journals, other sectors that people might not be looking at, other industries, and curate them into easily digestible formats, then that knowledge then starts to have a bit of value because not only are you kind of interpreting the meaning behind them, you are curating information and putting it into an accessible format. Some of the most successful introducers of ideas have been the people who can successfully interpret things and interpret the meaning and then present them and curate them and present them, sorry, to curate them and then present them to people who are listening to them. So that's been a little bit of a bit of a rambling thought thought about what has been my take on knowledge sharing. Thank you so much for having a listen to this. Please do join me for the next episode when I'll be talking about more great stuff that people like us do, think, feel, are into. But for now, I've been Neil. Thanks for listening.